Welcome to A Drink with a Friend. I am Tish Oxenrider. And I'm Seth Ains. Question mark? Yeah, that's just having fun here. Tish, how Hi. are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, I just got a little I just got a little bug, man. Got a little bug yeah, going on. It's going around. A lot of people have it right now around here. It's weird. And it's not COVID. So what is that? Cold. It's called the common cold, is at least around here. You know, back in the day, you know, pre-COVID, we got these all the time. And then right. that year of COVID, when we all stayed inside and didn't go out and wore masks everywhere. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I never got sick. It was I amazing. I did not get sick once. And now I know. No, that's exactly what Kyle and I have been talking about. And now that I'm out of school, I mean, things ugh, are everywhere. So I got it's it a few weeks everywhere. ago and then all my kids have it or had well, have had it. So. Yeah, I got, I think I, I was fine. I was in Colorado, as you know, from work. And um, unfortunately, this was all going through my family. And I came back and I thought it had made its way all the way through. But evidently, I came back just in time for Amber to pass it along. Right. So that was super great. She was waiting for you, I'm sure. Yeah, it was waiting for me. It was lying in wait. So Tish, today, what are you drinking? Well, like you recently, it's not so much what I'm drinking, but the container I'm drinking it in. So I'm just drinking my Foxy tea that I like from Trader Joe's, but I don't know if you can see this. I'm drinking. <gasps> I, I know. Can. I got I can see this. I got a drink with a friend mug. So uh, I went ahead it? and bought some of our merch and it's lovely. It's a regular mug. Nothing and fancy. I've heard that it's very affordable. It's quite affordable. Yeah. And it's um, dope. It is quite dope. Like at first I thought this is going to look weird because it's like the logo is big, but I actually really like it. Like it turned out well. So um, I'm a fan and it holds liquid and that's what counts the most in a mug. So, um, Well, that's nice. And it holds a lot of liquid. And I would right. say it holds enough liquid for about a one hour conversation. Right. Exactly. So um, Foxy Tea it is. How about you? What are you drinking? I, again, it's the same thing as last week. I am drinking... It's not so much what I'm drinking. It's what I'm drinking out of. I'm again drinking out of my hydro flask, <laughs> which can I just say, I think it might be my favorite possession of all time ever. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. a pretty simple human being evidently because I really love uh, this water bottle and I'm just drinking water mostly because I'm trying to get over this cold. Yeah. But you know what I've been doing? I don't know that I've said this on the show. I don't know that I've done this on the show yet. I have been drinking superfood concoctions out of my hydro flask. You have not said this yet. So what does oh, that look man. like? Well, so it's kind of a long involved story, but I, um, somebody gave me a bag of athletic greens. Have you ever used these? Mm-mm. I know what you Holy mean. Holy moly. This is not, again, a sponsored endorsement, but an endorsement nonetheless. I love these things. I take them in my water in the morning and I kept them here in the office. They have hmm. probiotics. So I kept them, you know, here in the fridge okay. and I would take them and I would feel amazing after taking them. Just when you amazing. say take them, what do you mean? Like, like mix them like with, you know, eight to water? 12 ounces of water and hmm. shake it up and drink it. Okay. And about an hour later, I feel as if I might feel if I were high. It's wow. just such an energy rush. It feels so good. Huh. Um, so I, not that I know what it's like to be high, but of course not. Right. High on life. You know what I'm saying? High on I life. Do. I do. Um, so, but then I was in Colorado for an extended period of time. And of course I didn't bring my athletic greens and I couldn't get them out there as far as just like at a store or whatever. So I got 
the amazing grass superfood, uh, green superfood. I and will I admit that, that that doesn't sound very good. It's it doesn't taste quite as good. I'm not going to lie, and and the vitamins and minerals aren't quite as good, but it okay. still makes me feel really good. Yeah. So I, I was drinking that out of my hydro flask um, for a season, but now I'm back to my athletic greens. I'm super excited about them. So right. I had those this morning out of my hydro flask, and then I refilled it with water, and now I'm just drinking water. Okay. Got it. Well, I am looking at this Athletic Greens right now as we're talking, and it looks fascinating. I'm intrigued. Is it too early to say what's bringing me bringing me a little bit of truth, beauty, and goodness? <laughs> because that is it. Okay. Well, we jumped right to the um, to Conclusion. the end of the show, I guess. Yep, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's good <laughs> stuff. And maybe I'm just hypersensitive to it, or maybe it's psychosomatic or something. Maybe I'm mm-hmm. psycho. I don't know, but I really like them. I think it's called being 44. These things excite us now. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's yeah. true. Like last week, I saw a fresh pencil, one that hadn't been ground down, you know, in a pencil <laughs> sharpener. And yeah. I got super stoked. I was like, oh, a brand new <laughs> fresh pencil. I get it. I How get often it. do you that's see that? Me. No, never. Except the first of the year, school year. I mean, it's since I'm a teacher. Things. It's yeah, the little things, fun. people. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So okay. anyway. Well, good for you. Um, yeah, good for me. But this is not the topic of our chat, shockingly, like just a deep dive on what we're drinking today. Um, We are talking holidays, which is super original. And I know no other podcast and our listeners' feeds are going to be talking about the holidays. Uh, But since it's December, we thought it would make sense to be really original and talk about the season. You know what, Tish? I, I, you know, as you know, I wear many, many hats. One of the hats that I wear is uh, sort of an, a book consultant, author, coach, right. editor, ghostwriter, many different hats in that arena. And when I talk to people, they always say, oh, man, I can't believe I'm going to write another book on this, this topic, whatever the topic is, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're like, who needs another book on hope or resilience or peace or Christmas? And I always tell them, the world has plenty of books on hope, but it doesn't have your book. That's right. And I truly believe that. So in that spirit, I'm saying there are plenty of podcasts out there that are tackling this topic of Christmas very, very well. But you know what? They're not our podcast. That's right. And I really like, I like us. I like how we think. And so I think, I think we are going to take our own spin on the holidays and perhaps add another just mix to what you're hearing, because I don't think we're going to talk a lot about like how to have your best year ever holiday edition, you know, because that's just not how we roll here. We're going to talk about real stuff and, you know, normal person stuff too. Yeah. No, I think, I think to me, this is going to be a lot of fun because it's actually something that I haven't talked about with many people before. So very good. Fun. So today we're talking about what exactly? My thoughts are, you know, traditions. We all have them. You have your own unique family ones. I have my own unique family ones. We'll talk about them in a minute, I hope. But maybe perhaps unpack a little bit of the why we even do traditions, like why we as humans do traditions, why we lean into them the way we do, why some of us like them more than others, um, what they add to our life, the stress potentially they can cause if we don't look at them right. I don't know. Kind of look at like why are we the way that we are as people? Yeah. And yeah. do you know, I feel like at this point right now, 
we should do a little cut and and Kyle should put in the um Tevia singing tradition. Oh, I thought of that actually. I legit said, okay, who's going to sing tradition? It'd I be I so much fun. Tevia. I won't I won't do it. I would no, prefer to be the actual uh, you know, person. But whatever, listener, if you're not hearing Tevia sing tradition right now, that's because we couldn't make it happen. Copyright yeah. laws are just awful these right. days. Or Kyle just didn't feel like it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One of the two. Thanks a lot, Kyle. But anyway, <laughs> um, so Tish, tell yeah. me, first of all, why you think humans need tradition? Like, I, I, and, and I want to approach this from the angle of like, you've actually sort of written a book on tradition. You're writing another one. Another one's coming out on tradition. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we talk right. about the idea of the liturgical calendar, what we're talking about is actually the embodiment of tradition. It's something mm-hmm. that we do year after year. We put our bodies in the way of this thing year after year, whether it's Advent or Lent or whatever, um, or Christmas or Easter or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and this isn't like an original thing to Christians. It's not like Christians like woke up and were like, we're going to invent tradition. Right. So what is it that you think about uh, the human condition um, that craves, longs for, desires, wants to hold on to tradition. Yeah, you already hinted on the our longstanding tradition on traditions, right? As humans, we have done this for a long time. You know, to kind of bring it a little bit to the present or not so distant past. For me, it was about the year 2013, the year before my family and I backpacked around the world for a calendar year. Um, when I was just burned out on Christmas, I had, I was very scroogey that season. I just did not have it in me to do all the things I normally love doing, you know, the movies, the cookie making, the snowflake cutting outing of paper. I was just very eye rolly about all the things. And I think I was just a curmudgeon partly because I couldn't figure out the why. Like I didn't feel a grounding of why as a family we were even bothering with all the stuff. It felt like it was just adding more stress than enjoyment. And so I just thought this was dumb. And so the following year when we traveled, it was a welcome relief to take a break for a season on doing our typical stuff. But I can say looking back just a few years for me now, what I was searching for was the the meaning, the why behind it. And I think I've come to the conclusion, though I'm still working this out, that why we as humans love traditions, for the most part, is because they provide a peg on which to hang things when life is good Mm. and an anchor to keep us sturdy and still when things aren't. So Mm, I like that. Yeah, it provides a place for us to hang our hats and... um connect the dot with our real here and now life to something not really of us. Like the peg is there. We're not the ones inventing it, you know, Um, when things are just as they are and, and, you know, life is all right. But then whenever we're just feeling unmoored and when we're feeling really just a ship lost at sea, dropping an anchor to embrace a little bit of the tradition, even when we don't feel like it provides Mm -hmm. at least some sort of, I'm not going to go anywhere. This is the thing that's keeping me somewhat still, even among the wind and the waves. Mm -hmm. So I feel like a lot of people, you know, maybe not so much as 2020 when things were super question mark about the holidays, but perhaps there are people, there are listeners that still feel unmoored and are going through other things that just might make you feel unmoored. I'm reading about a lot of people feeling that, especially about their faith practices that yeah. um, tradition might just feel like an anchor right now. 
So I don't yeah. know. What are your thoughts based on experience and, and thoughts about, you know, the, the traditions and why we do them as people? Yeah, I think you, I think what you just said, it ties in really well. I have a dear friend, Wynn Collier. He's a mm-hmm. great writer, great thinker. He's a professor, seminary professor. Um, and I really, we should have him on the show. We he, should. He would be such a good fit for this group of people here that gather to listen mm-hmm. to us ramble every week. It would be a good break. You wouldn't have to hear I'm me as much. That. You could hear Wynn more. But I was in South Carolina with Wynn. And this was years ago. It was long before I was sort of contemplating officially, like moving in a liturgical direction. But it was, you know, it wins good at a lot of things. And one of those things is reading the tea leaves. He sort of knew the direction we were headed. And um, and we were talking about the liturgy. And the liturgy is, if nothing else, a form of tradition, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's been handed down through the ages. Every Sunday, you go do the same thing say the same prayers, uh, for the most part, you know, kneel at the same places, stand, sit, you know, yada, yada. Um, and as we were talking about the importance of liturgy, he, he was sort of talking about his own sort of practices of liturgy. And we were talking particularly about Lent, the Lenten liturgy. And he comes from sort of a different denominational event, but he was finding himself more and more drawn into the Anglican practice and and Episcopalian practice and more and more drawn into um, the Advent liturgies. And one of the things he said to me was, you know, I have these two sons and, you know, they're typical American teenagers, um, great kids, amazing kids, uh, which I will uh, vouch for. But, you know, still exploring faith, still exploring the edges of the world, still trying to sort of learn their place in the world. And he said, you know, it, it, there will come a day when uh, my guess is my kids will be in college and they'll be away from home and they'll probably be away from the church, just like a lot of us were. And when Christmas and Advent comes around, I want them to say that something feels a little bit hollow without the practice of Advent. Like we did mm-hmm. this for years at home and here's that, you know, December 1st is rolling around and, oh my gosh, something is missing. What is that thing that's missing? And he said, my hope is that that practice, that tradition draws them back um, to the place where they will ultimately feel like they belong, which is the church. Yeah. Um, and and I thought that was a really great, a great point. And it's not just about church. It's, a, it's kind of about anything, right? Like, Traditions, what they ultimately do is remind us who we are, where we come from, and they allow us to then pass that who we are and where we come from down to our children in ways that sort of perpetuate that cycle of this is who we are, this is what we do, this is where we're going. And that can be all kinds of different traditions. Um, You know, I know families who have very robust traditions around baseball. You know, right? They love baseball. Summer comes; it's baseball time. You sign up all the kids. You go do the things. You you know tailgate at all the tournaments. You bring pop tarts and eat crap food and sit in the stands and do the same. You know, cheer the same things, sing the same songs. You know, this is just a tradition, and it reminds the kids this is who we are. And hopefully, when those kids have kids, you know, this is who we are and what we do and how we go forward. Um, so traditions can can sort of exist in many different spheres. But uh, to Wynn's point, and something that I've always loved is like, if you want your children to remember um, 
that we are spiritual people in a spiritual and physical world moving towards a spiritual sort of conclusion, then you have to build in the traditions that remind them of that so that when those seasons come and they're not participating in those traditions, something just feels a little bit off. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it that I hadn't quite thought of about the future of our kids because the the follow-up thought I had to all this was the idea of creating something for our kids. And I think he's hitting on exactly what that is. Uh, and, you know, I've said this before on the show that liturgy is a form of tradition and, and in a weird way, memory making. But whenever I was not in that more liturgical tradition of my faith, when probably a lot of our listeners, it's foreign, um, perhaps they're intrigued by it, but they've just never been in that environment, or they're a little turned off by it by thinking like, gosh, doesn't that seem rote and routine and, and not spirit led or whatever. I think you provide a really good reminder to us that we all actually live in liturgy. Like we all have liturgies in our days, weeks, months, and years. So yeah, if you're into a sport, you've got your sports seasons and you've got your traditions and your routines of what you do. You have daily liturgies. You know, you brush your teeth before you do something else and you're not even trying. It's just part of your rhythm. You, you know, have your quirky little things you do before you turn off your nightstand light. Those are, that's a form of liturgy. And so creating particular traditions to your family is creating a rhythm that I think reminds us or at least highlights to us the storiness of our life. I think we, we all are, are, we all love stories. I think that's divinely inspired and and God-given in us that we, we love stories. We remember stories. We learn by story. And so traditions create a story to our life. And it reminds us that we are part of a story and that um, our daily choices matter, like the little ways we do our life matter. And so it might not feel like any big deal to always do X on day Y of December in your family, but it actually does. It matters both to you as an adult and if you have kids, probably even more to them because it, it makes them feel like they're part of something. Yeah. And don't yeah. we all want to be part of something? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, um, I think that this is to yeah. me, this is the big point of a tradition. The, the engaging in a tradition says this is ultimately a thing that I can be a part of. I am a part of like I can identify with this, I can do this, and that marks me as X, Y, or Z. It marks mm-hmm. me as, you know, a Duke basketball fan, or it marks me as uh, you know, a a practicing liturgical Christian or, you know, whatever the thing is, like whatever those liturgies that you engage, you know, annually or monthly or whatever, like those things mark you and they signal to others in the world around you and to your kids, like, this is who we are. This is who I am. And, um, and you're invited into that and it gives you a place of belonging. Yeah. You know, if you think about your own childhoods and what uh, the holidays were for you, you probably don't remember the things that in the here and now as an adult you think are important, like what particular gifts you give this year or, you know, I don't know. I can't even think of an example, decorating in a particular way. You know, the things that you might just get caught up in where you suddenly feel like, gosh, this matters. Um, what you probably do remember, though, and this sounds a little woo-woo and I don't mean it to, but you probably remember a little bit more how your house felt, perhaps around 
the holidays. You know, maybe there was some specifics like, you know, the cookies your mom baked and how it smelled or, you know, your dad's goofy jokes or I don't know. I can't think of good examples, but you probably have these memories of how your home overall felt. And I think a lot of that has to do with the traditions. Now, that's not to put needless pressure on us as families to where we have to create this like winter wonderland of a season. In fact, it's almost the opposite. You know, it's permission to remember that these little things almost matter more than the big, you know, are we going to make the most epic gingerbread house ever this year? Or are we going to go do all the things that our kids say they want to do and are important to us? They're not going to remember that stuff. They're going to remember a lot more of the rhythm of your home's kind of, I mean, and when I say feel, I don't even mean the the coziness. I mean, more like was dad in a good mood, you know, during the holidays or was mom hospitable and welcoming to you know, my friends when they came over and not stressed out about making things perfect. Yeah. And so to me, the tradition leans into that, you know, the idea of like what our kids can expect and remember from the, the, the ambiance of our homes. Yeah. Yeah. And I I really like what you just said about what our kids can expect. I think that's Mm. really important. Like I think in a world that is, this is not my phrase. This is uh, others. Have you ever heard of the term VUCA? Tell me more, maybe. uh, It's an acronym that means um, that the world is volatile, uncertain, changing, ambiguous. And then there's another uh, professor uh, that I am acquainted with who says it changes in real time. So he uses the phrase VUCAR. Hmm. Um, but the world is, is, is chaotic, right? It's always in flux. It's always changing. And I think that's, that's like more true now than even in my own childhood. Right. And so in a world that has those sort of characteristics, the characteristic of meltdown and chaos and change and um, Omicron, if you will, um, then, you know, these, these, these traditions sort of provide a recentering, a place to, to sort of re-enter orbit Mm-hmm. Um, something that holds us into place. I think that's also really important too. And I think that's more important than, I mean, honestly, I think that's more important than just about anything is, is providing that place to reenter a solid orbit. Because again, that, that brings sort of uh, safety and security uh, to kids and, and to us too. I mean, it, you know, I'm not just talking about my 16 year old and my 15 year old, like, that idea of safety and security is important to me in a world that is constantly uh, volatile. Um, it's changing. It's ambiguous. Uh, you know, uncertain to the max right now. I know that for the next three weeks, I have a set of rhythms that I'm going to enter into um, that really provide me with a sense of security. Like this, these are my people, and this is going to be okay. Yeah. I mean, that's such a phenomenal way of putting it. I almost want us to have a separate conversation about that VUCA idea. I hadn't heard of that. I thought it was like some Scandinavian word like hygge or something. Mm, No. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think that's so spot on. And it's interesting to me how much I as an adult crave these kinds of uh, comforts or, you know, comfort seems like too shallow a word. These, um, the anchors, you know, when things do feel like just one big 
tidal wave after another right now. And it's been that way for several years for most of us now, that these little things that seem like no big deal actually are a really big stinking deal, you know, um, yeah. because of what they do. So I'm curious, Seth, if you have any examples of some of your favorites, like the things that you really look forward to this time of year that you guys do as a family. Yeah. So, uh, um, we're not, again, I mean, this kind of goes back to the Advent practitioner mode. We're not super great at all of these, uh, you know, traditions along the way. Although as we get closer to Christmas, we'll start to engage the season more and more. Yeah. So we have particular movies that we watch in this season. This season tends to be a little bit slower. Um, and we tend to watch sort of a comedy too that is non Christmassy in mm-hmm. this uh, in this season. So like right now we're working our way back through Parks and Rec, right? And that's just like sort of our Christmas ritual of like <laughs> that's getting good some good laughs, getting in a good mood, you know. Yeah. Um, but as we get closer to Christmas, we'll actually have a whole week where we, you know, pretty much watch a movie a day. We eat popcorn together. Um, they're all Christmas movies. We'll play some board games. But our big tradition, we actually we've we've actually been building backwards, and so for the last three or maybe four years, um, we've all pretty much, with the exception of maybe one or two of us, um, have pretty much all stayed up and gone to midnight mass together, and really just celebrated um, very sleepily that that moment when uh, we sing that for unto us a child is born, you know, and it's an amazing. Mm-hmm it's an amazing moment for, for us and for our family. And it's really marked like the, it's like the culmination. It is the tradition, like kid, the kids ask for it now. Mm. And last year we added to that. Um, okay. We had a friend over and we invited him to come along to midnight mass and he was going to come and then bailed because it was too late. Cause you know, by 11 o'clock you start to stress a little bit about how tired you are. Um, but last year, he did come in anticipation of midnight mass and we had Chinese mm-hmm. food, but we had like actually good Chinese food. We have a sure. a restaurant here that serves like authentic Chinese food and he lived in China for a while. Nice. So he'll, we'll go, we, we, we went and he ordered this food and he explained it to us and we ate it while watching It's a Wonderful Life. Of course. And preparing for midnight mass. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, now become a, actual factual family tradition we're going to do it again this year um we'll probably do it again next year we're going to do it every year because my kids love it they're like this is like part of who we are now we invite people over so there's a hospitality component um we eat just some really interesting food that we would never have so there's sort of an exploration component to it so it marks us as people as hospitable explorative um we watch it's a wonderful life so it sort of marks us as a nostalgic people um, right. And then we go and we celebrate uh, the entrance of Christ into the world, which marks us as a spiritual people. So to me, that's like one really good example of a tradition that sort of says, this is who we are. This is who we're going to be. Um, and and we're going to remind ourselves of that every year. I love that. That is phenomenal. This will be our first year doing Midnight Mass. I want us to do that as well. And I have been wondering what my what our kids will think of it um, in terms of having to stay up late. But uh, they'll hate it and they'll love it. Yes, that was my thought because they, in fact, I know one of my kids will just remember the Easter vigil and be like, oh, no. <laughs> right. Um, so we're talking four hours of church and, you know, uh, I, I'm stoked about it. I'm really excited. And we love It's a Wonderful Life as well. And I try to hold off until as close to Christmas Day as possible. Yes. 
um, for many, many reasons, nostalgic at, at minimum for us that I've told you before how it's my dad's all time favorite movie and how yes. he does like trivia and all that. Um, but that's, that's such a good tradition. I love the idea of bringing someone along or having someone come over. That's a great idea. Yeah. And, and it was a friend of ours who'd gone through a particularly dark year. And I think that's another thing to remember, like this Christmas season, like if you're going to start building out traditions, build out traditions too, for those in your community and in your life and world who are hurting. Um, because Christmas can be a really hard season for those who don't have people to create traditions with, if yeah. that makes sense, you know, like yeah. find those people and bring them into your traditions. Mm -hmm. So Tish, tell me what are your, what's a tradition that you guys really love at Christmas? And then like, what, what does it say about you? Gosh, that's yeah. Okay. Well, we do movie nights as well. We do a lot more movie watching than we normally do the rest of the year. And I love it. I love almost that it gives us permission to do that because it makes it a thing, you know, kind of like what you guys do with the popcorn. Um, I think it's helpful to know, like, as, as a backdrop, I like to simplify things during Advent, meaning I keep our meals fairly simple during Advent. Um, and we do the tradition with the candle lighting and all that, but for the purpose of making Christmas a little more of a thing, meaning hold off on, you know, feasting for just, I wouldn't even call it fasting because yeah. that's, that's an insult to fasting, but it's a little bit of just um, temperance, perhaps is a way to put it. A little temperance where we, you know, kind of beans and rice it a little bit more for our family meals in order to really embrace the 12 days of Christmas and enjoy a lot more of a feasting mindset then. That doesn't mean eat all the things, but just a little bit more in that regard. Um, I would say one, you know, I, I don't have, we don't have one particular tradition like you do that hits like four different things, but you've inspired me to do that. But we've got a lot of smaller ones that I feel like, um, scratch that itch. Like for example, one of them is we do a cookie swap every year with a group of friends, like a core group of yeah. friends we have known for a really long time. And it's as cheesy as it sounds and we just embrace it. That's actually a theme with some of our traditions is embrace the corniness of mm -hmm. it. And I think there's a real purpose to that because I am by nature a bit of a curmudgeon and a bit of a side ire to uh, cheese ball things. And it is good for me. It's good for my soul to embrace that a little bit more this time of year. So we do a, a cookie swap and it's just what it sounds like. We're four families. So each family makes four dozen cookies. And then we get together and we each take a dozen of each other's cookies. So you walk away with four dozen cookies, but four different types without having to make four different types of cookies. You only had to make one. Um, but we also do a meal together. So it's a potluck that we gather this year it's at our house. So it's our turn. We all take turns rotating between our four houses. And so it's going to be at the Oxen Riders this year and we're going to do a brunch. So some years we do dinner, some years we do brunch. We're going to do a late breakfast. And we usually, if we can help it, hold on to the doing it during the 12 days of Christmas. So this year we're actually doing it New Year's Eve. We've never done it that late before, but that's literally when, I mean, just real life. It was when we could all do it. So we're doing it New Year's Eve, a brunch. Um, so we're going to probably tie in some sort of like uh, talking about the year 
and what it was like for us, what was hard, what was good, because that's a little bit of what we do as a family as well on New Year's Eve. Yeah. And I'm super stoked because it's a good excuse to see these people too. You would yeah. think it would be easier, but it's just not with real life. You know, mm-hmm. um, we've got doctor's appointments and kids stuff and families coming in, uh, in from out of town. And before you know it, it's like four months have gone by, you know? Yeah. Um, so to me, that's a, that's a particular holiday. I mean, tradition that really um, checks the boxes of community, nostalgia slash corniness in a good way. Um, and reflection, perhaps like pausing yeah. to reflect a little bit on, on what the year's meant. It's going to be a bit of an interesting one this year, I think just because so much has shifted in our family, our you know, our clan this year um, with regard to our fe- friends here, but it, it'll still be really good. And then we just do other things along like movie nights in particular. We do a Harry Potter marathon. Oh, what's Christmas that's, about it? that's great. I mean, what's Christmas about it is that there's a few of the movies that have five minute scenes with Christmas, I think, you know, so it's not really about the holidays at all, but that's probably our parks and rec, you know, it's like, yeah, we've yeah. seen it. We've seen it them all quite a few times, but they're still just um, nostalgic and fun. And we all love the story. And it's, it's also one of those movies you, uh, you can just have on in the background while you're also like, you know, wrapping gifts or just doing other things. And I love that. Yeah, that's great. I, I I really love that idea. Uh, And I love the idea of like pulling something into Christmas. That's not innately Christmassy, but that still says, something about who you are, you know, something I know about your family is that you guys love to read. You love good stories. You love fantasy. Um, you love, you know, movies. So even just pulling in that, that element of saying like, this isn't necessarily Christmassy, but this is a season where we slow down. This is a season where we look at the things and watch the things and take the things in that we love. Um, to me, that's still ultimately, you know, Christmassy. It's about, you know, your family and who you uh, guys are. You know, yeah. I, I could say that I just know this quote because I'm super brilliant, but that's not true. Before we started recording, I looked up this quote uh, by G.K. G. Chesterton. It's from Orthodoxy, which I've read and I love and Me is yep. brilliant um, yep. and at times hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. But In the book, he says, tradition means giving votes to the most obscure of all classes, our ancestors. It is the democracy of the dead. Tradition Mm. refuses to submit to the small and arrogant oligarchy of those who merely happen to be walking about. And I think Mm. that's what we've been talking about. And what we've been talking about is by creating these traditions, we're actually saying, this is who we are as people. This is who the people that came before us were. Um, and this is who we hope our children will be going into mm. the world ahead of us. Um, it is the democracy of the dead. One day I will not be here, but I hope that my great-grandchildren will be eating Chinese food and watching uh, It's a Wonderful Life or A Christmas Story or some such nostalgic movie um, and going to Midnight Mass and saying, mm. you know, this started long before I did. And even if I don't go to church any other day of the year, even if I don't give a rip about Christmas any other, any other day of the year, um, on this day, I'm, I'm going to remember uh, the past and, and mm. vote for the democracy of the dead. That's so well said. Of course, it's from Chesterton. I, I think that's that just immediately to me conjures up the idea of the communion of the saints, right? That we 
do live among a great cloud of witnesses, regardless of whether we are aware of it or not. You know, there's that that Catholic idea that those who are dead are more alive than we are actually. Yeah. And so to me, I just think of perhaps not the capital S saints that we know, but our lowercase S saints, you know, our grandmas and our, our, um, our great, great grandfathers that we don't know anymore. And we can't even name that perhaps we do things the way we do them. You know, if we share the same last name and we don't even know why, but it is, a marking of who we are, you know, oxen writers yeah. do this, Haynes's do this, um, not because we're legalistic, but because we're part of a story. It's part of who we are. And perhaps that great cloud of witnesses around us are nodding and saying amen as they watch us, you know, eat yeah. our Chinese food while we watch that movie. That's yep. really well said. Yeah. Yep. So good. So Tish, yeah. I guess that brings us to what I like to call the close of the show because mm-hmm. it is yeah. the end. Um, so tell me as we close the show, what is one thing that is bringing a little more truth, beauty, or goodness to your life? I am reading an arc right now, advanced reader, uh, of a new to me friend, Jessica Hooten Wilson, who is fantastic and has so much good stuff out there. And I want to have her on the show as well. She's got a book coming out this next March called the scandal of holiness. And the subtitle is Renewing Your Imagination in the Company of Literary Saints. And I tweeted last night Ooh. that I am I am 17 pages in and I have already highlighted 13 times. I've made 13 highlights in those 17 pages. It is so great so far. So she's making the case that kind of what we were talking about in this episode, because we're so story driven as humans, that when we read, we're doing more than just... Um, you know, learning or enjoying a good story, the very act of reading perhaps is sacramental. In fact, I think she literally says, you know, the the page turning and the the rhythm of reading is a sacramental practice. And by by that, you know, when we have these um, hagiographies, these saint stories that we are often inspired by that perhaps that there there are these fictional saints we should listen to. And so she has picked, I believe it's seven different um, novels written in the 20th century. And she goes through each one and talks about the different um, virtues we can learn from particular saints. Oh wow! Um, so far, I love it. And I think we for sure need to have her on this spring when her book comes out, because I think a lot happen. of our listeners would love this book. So I love it. Yeah, I love it. All right. So Seth, what about you? What are you reading, watching, or listening to that's adding more beauty to your life? Well, I just had the good fortune of writing the foreword for a book for my friend Lori Ferguson Wilbert. Love that's her. L O R E. So you might think it's lore, but it's right. not. Um, but she writes this book called, um, it's called A Curious Faith by hmm. Lori Ferguson Wilbert. There's another similar title. Make sure you're looking at Lori's. Um, and what she essentially does is goes through and highlights all of the questions in the Bible and just riffs on them like it's almost like a devotional practice for herself. Um, but that's that includes like the questions that God asks. God asks questions. Who even thought about that? Um, the mm-hmm. questions that that humans ask and then the questions that Jesus asks. And I think my takeaway from the book was that, when, you know, when you're reading it, uh, you just come away with it like if if like if we're made in the image of God, then we are innately question askers. 
right? We mm-hmm. should be innately question askers. There should be no question that's off limits. There should be no, uh, you know, dogmas or uh, ways of being that are not subject to, hey, why is that? Or really, or there should be no uh, moments of life uh, where you you would feel foreclosed from saying, you know, God, where are you, right? Like these are very innately human uh, things to ask. And so it was a really well done book. I highly recommend it. It's only for pre-order right now, but I want to read um, a little tribute to Lori from the actual forward. Okay. For something nearing a decade, I've known Lori. And if there's one thing I can say about her, it's this. Curiosity is baked into her DNA. It's this curiosity that led her from a more free-spirited faith to a Texas megachurch that had an answer to every question. It's the same curiosity that led her out of that megachurch and into a wilderness exploration. Curiosity led her into an exploration of church history, the mystery of liturgy, the practice of prayer, and a more Eucharistic worldview. Curiosity has animated everything about her spiritual life, including the writing found in the pages of these book of this book. Uh, and and I mean I, I mean that I I love the way Lori asks questions, and I wish more of us would would sort of ask those questions. And so this is just a book of, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, and so I'm here for it. I love it. It's made me very happy. I don't know when it comes out, but I think our listeners should go ahead and pre-order it. According to her publisher, it doesn't come out till August of 2022. That's a long way away. But you know what? We'll, yeah, it'll fly by and we'll have her on the show. It will, yeah, and you know what I love about pre-ordering books. I don't know if you've had this experience, um, and this is certainly not a plug for everyone to pre-order our books whenever they go on pre-order. But also, it is. Uh, what's great about pre-ordering books is that you do it, you pre-order the book because you know you want to read it, you know it's gonna be good, um, and then you forget about it, uh-huh. and then one day it just like shows up at your house, and you're like, oh, this is like the birthday present that I forgot about. Uh huh. It's, it's like so a little true. surprise. It's such a great it's treat. So true. That's actually what I told uh, readers of Shadow and Light. You know, hey, buy this book. Advent's coming up soon. While you're at it, pre-order the Lent one, and then you'll just be surprised because you'll totally forget about Lent during. Which Advent. is awesome. It is awesome. So yeah, so, that is. Yeah. And, and I'll just say, I'll just go ahead and put in a plug for my fellow authors that you know, as a reader, you think, what's the big deal? I'll just buy it after it comes out. It does a lot for a a book and for an author if you pre-order because what you're doing is you're actually telling booksellers, "Hey, this is a book that I am interested in. Maybe you should order more for your store." Yeah. Because perhaps there are other people like me out there that would also like to order this book. So, you're kind of nudging the book industry in in the direction you want to see it go. And so, it it's does, a vote for the kind of books you that's like. That's right. All right. Well, it's time to wrap this up. You can find this episode as well as all episodes at a drinkwithafriend.com. If you like the show and what we're doing here, you can help keep it going by picking up the next round of drinks. The show is free for you to listen to, but it's not free for us to make. So at the cost of a cup of coffee or pint, you can play a big part. Find the link to do this in the show notes of this episode or at a drinkwithafriend.com. And as always, thank you very much in advance. Uh, you can find me and how to connect with me, especially via my Substack newsletter at tishoxenwriter.com. What about you, Seth? They can find me and pause. This is very important because as okay. you know, Tish, a big announcement is coming from me in January. Oh, yes. About where you will and will not be able to find me. 
Right. So find me at SethHaines.com and go ahead and sign up for uh, the, the the newsletter, the Substack, everything right there um, yep. through MailChimp because you definitely are going to want to hear from me next year. Very cool. Yep. All right. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod and editing is by Kyle Oxenreiter. I'm Tish Oxenreiter with Seth Haynes and we'll be back here again with you soon. Thanks for listening. 